0: Well, good to be with you, folks. Really wish you a happy new year, and I pray it is that for, for each one of you. Um, before I turn to the Bible, I want to say, I want to pray for a few people. Uh, this month is very exciting for us. We've got uh, three churches, potentially, kicking off. And uh, so we've got a church starting in Falkirk. So Ian and Sandra at the front. Ian and Sandra, stand up for a second. Let's hear for Ian and Sandra. Woo! These guys probably gave you a welcome as they're coming in the door, and there's a number of others of you who are helping out with what's going on in Falkirk there. Um, Ammon and Comfort, are you guys here yet? No? Nope. So they're, they're leaving in the next few days, certainly Ammon is and then Comfort's, probably I think they're leaving the same day, uh, they can't get the same flight, but they're heading back to Nigeria, and uh, they've been part of the church, and just just in the last month and a half, uh, they've come to me with the desire that they want to possibly s- plant a church in northeastern Nigeria, which is a 50-50 Muslim Christian area. So isn't that outstanding? So that's cool. Uh, so if we get to pray for them. And also, uh, this afternoon, Chris and Sarah, now Chris and Sarah aren't here today. Are you guys here? No. I didn't think you were. Uh, they are getting the flights to Poland, to Wrocław in Poland's this afternoon, and they're going there to start a church. They're, they've been in Edinburgh four years. They came to Destiny because they thought we were a nightclub, and uh, I think they still do actually, I don't... but they kind of accepted the Jesus thing as well. So they came to Destiny because they thought we were a nightclub, and then they discovered we were a Christian church, and they'd been on the run from God, and they'd come back, come back to God, and now they're going back to their country, Poland, to start, I believe, a significant church in Poland there. And James Trower, who, uh, James and Jess, many of you know, James, he's preaching in our lead service this morning, he and Jess, later this year in September, are starting a church in Hong Kong. So how cool is that? Yo, that's so exciting. Uh, We believe in not just existing as a church, but we believe in reproduction. We believe that we're not just here to be a church and to gather our crowds, we believe each and every single person, what every one of you, has a purpose. For some, it will be church planting. For others of you, it will be going with the church planters to support the church plants. Right? So maybe God will call you to Hong Kong, or Rotswath, or Falkirk, or Nigeria. Yay! The Vatican, yay! Hey. Yeah. Marcello wants to do Vatican. Um, so, I think there's a church already been planted there, isn't there? Okay, anyway. <laughs> But whether it's church planting or whether it's actually just playing your part in a local church on the ground here in Edinburgh. Helping the poor, serving teas and coffees, welcoming at the door, handing out leaflets. Living a life glorifying God in the community of believers. Everyone has a purpose. And our passion is to mobilize every single last believer this year to the purpose of God. So wouldn't it be great, let's just pray over um, these churches that are starting uh, the only couple who are here to represent the churches are Ian and Sandra. So if you guys want to stand, and uh, and we'll just and we'll pray for these guys, and we'll pray for the churches that are starting. And obviously with James and Jess going later in the year, we'll pray for them specifically in the services. Father, thank you for this new year. Thank you, God. Today uh, we have dreams in our hearts individually, but also as a church. We're going to have babies. We're going to give birth to children. We're gonna become a, a parent church and a grandparent church. Father, thank you for the privilege, God, of being yours. Thank you for the privilege of being alive at this time when Scotland has such desperate need for truth. God, we thank you for the opportunity to make a difference. God, we pray in your presence for Ian and Sandra and the others who are involved with that work in Falkirk that's about to kick off at the end of this month. We pray go before them, gather people, use them and the team that gathers to make a huge impact in Falkirk and the surrounding regions with the gospel and with the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray for Chris and Sarah, pray for them and Ula this afternoon they get on that plane and fly to Poland, moving, relocating, planting themselves in a city with the dream of starting a church that starts churches all around the city. We pray, God, not just a campus, but multiple campuses will be birthed in Wrocław that will engage that precious, precious Polish population with the gospel in a fresh way, in a way that they're going to hear it. God, we pray for Amen and Comfort with their dream, that seed of a dream they have of a possibility of a church in northeastern Nigeria. God, we pray in that desire they have to reach the Muslim friends in that part of the world. We pray, give them success. Go before them. By the power of God, let a church be birthed. And we pray for the long-term plan for Hong Kong. God, we're asking you, Father, that you'd go before James and Jess, and that, God, you would stir them and use them and let a great church that starts churches start in Hong Kong. God, we pray for this congregation. We've been planted. We started. And we have a dream not just to exist, but maybe, God, in the years ahead, you'll have us plant other campuses in this city Certainly our small groups will be planting small groups. Certainly every one of us is to reproduce ourselves. God, let us be a people who make disciples this year for the glory of God. God, be among us as we look at the Bible just now. Speak to us, change our lives. We give you permission to change our lives. God, we owe everything to you. You're amazing, in Jesus' name. Let's hear for God, amen, amen. Amen. A few years ago, some of you remember, we had Bill Wilson with us. Uh, Bill Wilson is a pastor's, the biggest Sunday school in America. It's about 25,000 kids in the Bronx, New York. Not an easy place to have a Sunday school. And uh, he had this dream. He was abandoned as a kid, and then someone took him into his house. He grew up in a Christian family, and he said, I'm going to do everything I can for the kids in this city. And he birthed this, this kid's church with 25,000 kids. So would love to have him back someday. I remember him telling a story of when he was at Bible college. And a group of them at Bible college, they figured out that you could talk down the air conditioning into people's bedrooms. So in the middle of the night one night, him and his friends went to the air conditioning duct and spoke down the air conditioning duct and said, you will go to Africa. <laughs> Next morning at, at the students' devotion times, uh, about three of the students said that in the middle of the they were dead serious. Three of the students in the middle of the night believed that God had woken them up and said that they should go to Africa. <laughs> he never told them. You know, he just thought that's a good idea. Here you go. <laughs> he never told them. Love that. And that story's always stuck with me. Um, if you had the opportunity to listen in on a conversation, an opportunity to eavesdrop on any conversation that's ever happened, What conversation would you listen in on? I think there couldn't be any greater conversation than the conversation that took place and takes place between the Son and the Father, the eternal Son of God and the Father, who are obviously God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, the Trinity. And we see the dialogue between the Father and the Son. In this moment that we've come to in John's gospel, we're back to John's gospel. We've been going through that in the lead up to Christmas. We took a break for Christmas. Santa came, and now we're back to John's gospel. Uh, And we're gonna be looking at this, the last night of Jesus's life. This is his time with the disciples. He's finished discussing and dialoguing with the disciples. Now he prays. Here we see the eternal son of God praying to the eternal father. And this is an opportunity for us to eavesdrop on a communication within the Trinity. Listen to what he says in John 17, one to four. After this, after he said this, remember what he said, we've looked at it the last few months. He's taught them, he's equipped them. He's saying, guys, I'm leaving. Here's things I want you to know about. And he taught them about the Holy Spirit. And he taught them about truth. And he taught them about discipleship. And he taught them about community. And he taught them about love. All the things we've been looking at in the last few months. And it's after he said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you, for you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So what's Jesus talking about? Let me just take, take us through the verses, just unpack. I think these verses contain for us massive truths for our lives. They speak about eternal things, but it has a huge bearing on your life as you're beginning the start of this year, as you're facing the future. These verses contain truths that will impact you and motivate you for the months that lie ahead. So the first thing he's speaking about is the cross. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, as your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. When he says the hour has come, when he talks about glorifying, glorify yourself, Father, uh, what's he talking about? He's talking about the cross. That which we see as humiliation, Jesus saw as glory. That which we see as failure, Jesus saw as the greatest victory ever. That which we see as defeat actually was the biggest victory, and you better be glad that victory took place on your behalf 2,000 years ago on the cross. So Jesus says, the hour has come. Now it's interesting, if you're reading your way through John's gospel, right through the gospel on numerous occasions, he says, the hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. The hour has not, right through the gospel. For the three years of his ministry, he's kept saying, the hour has not yet come. But now, here on the night before, the night he was betrayed, the morning, next morning, he's about to be crucified, he now says, the hour has come. The hour has come. The moment has arrived that everything's been building towards. This is the most important hour in human history. Now, I don't think he's necessarily talking literally about a 60-second, 60 60-minute 60 period. I think he's talking about, okay, this this moment, this moment, that I'm about to go into. That's what he's talking about. And that moment, that hour in history, in all of history, in all of eternity, is the most important hour that has ever happened. And that hour impacted all eternity. One hour impacted all eternity. And the hour had been predicted. The hour had been prophesied about. The hour had been foreknown for generations prior. We see even just after the creation of mankind, after God had made humankind's, and then Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden. God, in that moment, the first prophecy is spoken by God's predicting that hour. He said to Eve, said to Satan, in reference to Eve, he said in Genesis three fifteen, he said, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel right back there this is the first telling of the gospel this is god predicting the coming of one who would crush satan's heads even though he would bruise his heel the cross was the devastation of satan even though it was the bruising of the heel of jesus it was a tough for jesus christ but it was devastating for satan the hour had been predicted for era, long time before. I remember when the hour came. I remember it was the uh, 13th of October, 4 o'clock in the morning, 2010. The hour had come. Woke up, it was very early. We were getting a taxi that morning. We, we had a, we booked an October break holiday, a cheap deal to Malta. We had a great time. But we were up 4 o'clock in the morning to get the taxi, and the hour had arrived. We turned the television on, and it was the hour when the Chilean miners were being brought up. They'd been waiting for that hour for a long time. The Chilean miners were taken out of the shafts, and you, you know the story, you know, the, the Chilean miners, 33 of them, uh, on the 5th of August, they had been buried alive in this mine as, as part of the mine collapsed. 33 of them trapped 700 meters underground, three miles from the entrance to the mine shaft. Due to public pressure on the government, the government eventually decided to continue the search and they drilled eight boreholes on the 22nd of August that's on day 17 a note was attached to the drill bit of one of the boreholes saying we are in the shelter the 33 and as they found this note they suddenly realized people were still alive 17 days later if they had been trapped underground years ago the technology would not have been there to save these people. And the first attempt at saving them was a failure. The drill bit broke halfway down. But the drilling team, in partnership with experts from people like NASA, put together a plan, and they came up with a rescue mission. And on the 13th of October, uh, day 69 of their underground imprisonment, the... The machine was dropped, this four-meter uh, pod was dropped down the shaft at the drills. And the 33 men, one at a time, came up. And we were there, four in the morning, getting our taxi. We watched the first guy come out. And there was cheers and there was shouts. And uh, it's interesting, when you saw them come out, they had this T-shirt on, uh, which said, Gracias, Senor. Here's, here's a quote by Jose Henriquez, who was speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast at Washington to an audience, who, which included uh, Barack Obama. And he spoke about the time that they were in, the, in that mine. And he said, we realized we only had one alternative and that God, that was God himself. He was our only hope in this situation. Only God could save us. And then they, they decided that when they came out of the mine shaft, they wanted to be wearing T-shirts. So they got these T-shirts. They described how they wanted them. The T-shirts were sent down. They put the T-shirts on. And, they, and he said this, the best way to express the way we were feeling was to wear these T-shirts that we had made, which said... Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Their hour had come. They were delivered. They were brought out of the mine shaft. You need to understand, folks, the three years of Jesus' life was very significant. In those three years, he impacted lives. He taught us great principles. He gave us foundations for our lives. But it wasn't the three years of teaching that saved our souls. The three years of teaching, if that's all he did, and he just died and he didn't rise, if that's all it was, We'd still be lost. All that would have been like is like sending food parcels down a tunnel to people who are buried underground. That is as good as it would have been. And his miracles—I mean, they were fantastic, outstanding, amazing. But again, the miracles themselves—they wouldn't have—they wouldn't have—they wouldn't have changed our life. They don't save us. Again, that would have been like sending food parcels down. Or it would be like describing what life's like above the ground to those who are below the grounds. But his death and his resurrection, that's like the pod going into the depths of the core of the earth to rescue people. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, the sin that had been committed from our forefathers, our greatest ancestors, right back to the beginning, our rebellion against God was dealt with on the cross. As Jesus hung and died in our place, in your place, your sin was dealt with, my sin was dealt with. There is absolutely no possibility of you being saved other than through Jesus Christ's death and the cross. Not by your good deeds, not by obeying his teaching, not by his miracles, only by your faith in Jesus who died as your substitute on the cross and rose again. Only that pod could have rescued those miners. Only Jesus Christ's death and resurrection can, can rescue you. Jesus said, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Who has authority over your life? Jesus said, you granted him authority over all peoples. And today, Jesus declares, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has full authority over your life and over every person in Gorgie and over Richard Dawkins. And yet, He doesn't impose his authority upon you. He doesn't force you into obedience. He doesn't demand that you do exactly as he says. He gives you the choice. You're not robots. You've been given human choice. He has authority over your life, but you've given a choice. But it's interesting when you read the verse, it seems like you don't have a choice. It says in the verse, it says that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Jesus praying to the Father, indicating that he would be able to give eternal life to those that the Father has granted who will receive it. It's as if God had predestined people, which I believe he does and has. And yet you need to understand that from God's perspective, that makes complete sense, as does us having complete choice over our destination. You see, the God who said this also said in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. <clears throat> so wait a minute, whose choice is it? Well, if you're not a believer today, if you haven't put your faith, and I don't mean yeah, you out there. I mean really believe. I mean give your whole life to him. Then you need to understand God empowers you with the ability to make a choice. You could today can make a choice. Whoever believes, it says, every single one of you. If, you, if none of you, some of you aren't a believer, you can make a choice. But those who have made a decision and put their faith in Jesus, you need to understand retrospectively, he also chose you, <laughs> right? So I, I know you're trying to figure it out. Your head will blow up, right? Uh, but don't try. Just, just accept the tension. It's, like it's like the guy who comes to the gate, and the gate says, whoever would like may enter. He said, I would. And he opens the door, and he walks in, and he looks back at the gate, and it says on the back of the gate, chosen from the beginning of the earth. How is that possible? Well, that's how God works in our minds, in our finite minds. We can't comprehend the incredible sovereignty and the predestination of God, and yet it's totally there. So you need to understand, unbelievers, feel empowered. You can make a choice and God will save you. Believers, feel secure. God shows you from the foundation of the earth. That's the tension, that's the joy, and that's the reality that the Bible presents right through Scripture. So it goes from the cross to talking about this incredible gift eternal life. So what is eternal life? Jesus said that that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Now this is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now when we think of eternal life, we have 101 different thoughts in our head. A lot of them are not accurate. Many people think of eternal life as endless existence. You just don't cease to exist. And in one sense it is. But for many, that's a very demotivating thought. Because some of you, actually, you really don't want to exist like you're existing just now forever. Why do people commit suicide? Because they want to cease to exist. They've had enough of life. So the idea of endless existence, actually, for many people, is a horrible thought. They want to cease to exist. April 2012, Time magazine ran a a cover story titled, Heaven Can't Wait, Why Rethinking the Hereafter Could Make the World a Better Place. And in the issue, it talked about how people who think about eternal things actually make more of a difference on Earth, in the Time magazine. The next issue, uh, someone wrote a letter to the editor and in the next issue, they published a letter. And the, re- the letter was written by a guy called Mark Herbert. And he said this, your story about heaven says that 85% of Americans believe in heaven. That's incredible. They think of heaven as a quiet and peaceful place uh, <clears throat> with no need to do anything. It sounds pretty dull to me. What do you do with all that free time? And it just goes on forever and forever. And that's actually, for many people, that's their expectation of this word eternal life. You know, I know you may be excited about it, but you're not really that excited about it. Uh, Now, a few months back, we did a message where we looked at heaven. And for many people, the concept of heaven is a disembodied state. And the Bible does talk about that, but that's a temporal heaven. The ultimate heaven, clear in the Bible, is heaven on earth. That we will be living in resurrected bodies, serving a resurrected Lord on a resurrected earth, and we took to a, a, a Sunday to teach on that, way back. So we're not going to go into that just now, but I'm just saying it's exciting. And that actually your expectation of eternity can be incredibly positive. Eternal life is not just endless existence. Is not hell eternal? Is not hell endless existence? So it's so much more than just endless existence. There are two Greek words in the Greek language used for life. The first one is bios, from which we get the word biology. And it means life as opposed to death, existence as opposed to non-existence. The second word the Greek language uses for life is zoe, which means abundant, exciting, eternal extravagant, thrilling life. And when Jesus here says uh, that you want to give them eternal life, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, it's talking about eternal life. Abundant, exciting, thrilling, uh, exuberant, abundant, eternal life. That's the picture that's been used here. You see, when Jesus is talking about eternal life, he's not just talking about quantity of life, duration. He's also talking about quality of life. And not just in a mere existence, but a quality of life in the presence of God. That is so incredibly good. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief referring to the false teachers and to Satan who is at the root of all that. Thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What does God want for you in 2013? He wants for each one of you to experience abundant. Life in him. His presence in your life, leading you from victory to victory, from blessing to blessing, bringing him glory, living the dream in the presence of God. Abundant life. It says in Proverbs, I love this, uh, <coughs> uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. This is why I'm an optimist in this life. It says, the path of the righteous. Any righteous here today? Seriously? Okay, okay. By faith, right? Okay, by faith. Yeah, sorry. I thought, thought we were talking about behavior there for a minute. Okay, Russell, you are righteous by faith. The path of the righteous by faith is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter till the full day. What does the Bible say about your life? It says if you're a believer in Christ, you're righteous. Your path is going to be like the light of dawn. It's going to shine brighter and brighter until the full day. So what should your anticipation be for this year? You should be an optimist. You should be a massive optimist based on Scripture. That doesn't say easier and easier. And Jesus said, didn't say, I've come to give you life in an easy way. Jesus fully acknowledged that following him will involve a ton of challenges. Actually, it might even be more challenging to live a life of following him than it would just to go with the flow. But nevertheless, an abundant life. Nevertheless, a life that will shine brighter and brighter as you walk with him to path. Walking with him on that path. As you walk with him, it's gonna shine brighter and brighter till the full day. You can be an optimist this year. But also you can be an optimist eternally. First Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, you haven't even begun to conceive how good eternal life is. You think, you, can, you think of the best thing on earth. Well, your mind can conceive that. That doesn't even begin to describe the greatness of eternity. I mean, we love earth in so many regards. We love the good things of earth. We love the beauty of earth. We love the emotions of earth. We love the views of earth. We love the experiences of earth, the wholesome ones. We love all that. Why? Because it's from God. Well, the Bible says that's just a glimmer. Nothing compares to what lies ahead in eternity. Resurrected bodies serving a resurrected Lord and a resurrected earth for all eternity. Glory to God. That's really good. You can be an eternal optimist as well as being an optimist on earth. But it's not the nature of eternal life, it's not just endless existence. It's an exuberant, blessed existence connected with God. And Jesus ha- ha- emphasizes this. You see, for some, eternal life is achieved by knowing God. I want to have eternal life. How do I get that? You've got to have God in your life. Okay. What's your goal? Eternal life. But for Jesus, eternal life is knowing God. What's the goal? Knowing God. The big difference. You see, consumerism creeps into religion. That you want God so you can get to heaven? Do you not want God because he's God? It's like me wanting to marry my wife because of all the perks. You think, no, no, I want to marry her because she's her. You know, you understand that's how it should be with God. You don't just want God just so you can have eternal life and escape hell. That's such a consumer and shallow way of living. You want God because He's God. And Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is primarily not the duration of time. Because time will cease to exist after this era. There will not be day or night, it says in the, in the book of Revelation. Eternal life is a connection with a person, with God himself, with the source of life. It says in 1 John 5:12, "He who has the Son has the life." Will you get bored in eternity? Has God, who is eternal, ever been bored being God? No way. He's probably the most exciting being ever, is the most exciting being. Has God ever been bored being God? No. Well, if your source of life is him, then I can assure you that your eternal life connected with God will not even in any shape or form represent any form of boredom. It is exciting, exuberant, life-giving from God. Your connection with him is an eternal connection. Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. In 1 John 5 verse 13, John writes and says, I write these things to you who believe. Anyone who believe here today? Okay, a few of you, that's great. We could be a church. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you will have, all right, when I die, then I'll get. No, no, no. If you have connected with Jesus Christ, how do you connect with Jesus? You believe in him. You put your faith in him. Even though you don't see him, you believe in him more surely than you believe in the ground you stand on. You've put your faith in Jesus. I can assure you, according to Scripture, You have past tense, eternal life. It's yours already. The moment you connected with Jesus, you connected with eternity. So what is death? What is death? I need to tell you, death changes nothing. Death changes nothing. If you are spiritually dead and you die, you will continue eternally spiritually dead. If you are spiritually alive, connected with God, and you die, you will continue eternally alive in God's. All that death does is petrify the state that you were already in. Death changes nothing. You put your faith in Jesus, you have. Whoa! <laughs> That's a great thing to learn at the beginning of 2013. I have! I have eternal life! Woohoo! <laughs> hey! That is outstanding news. You can be happy, people from Edinburgh. It takes me f- to me to dance before you applaud. This is just great truth. We have eternal life, have because of our connection with Him. We have eternal life. Thank you, God. You see, half of Edinburgh would get really upset if you told them they weren't going to heaven but they're not that fussed about God they're so adamant of course we're going to heaven I'm a good person but you can't be bothered with God you don't think about God you don't worship him you don't give your life to him you've never shown any interest in him other than once a year or when you've done something really bad you're not interested in God so why would you be interested in living I mean you're not living for him just now so, why in any way would that change after death? Death changes nothing, it just petrifies your existing state. People who are in hell chose it, they chose to live a rebellion life against God, and it's the craziest thing. They chose it. God desires not one person to perish, He longs for human beings. And with that longing, he paid the price 2,000 years, the highest price. He paid the price himself so that made it possible, bloodshed for every human being who ever has lived to make it possible for everyone to be saved if they put their faith in Jesus Christ. An unlimited atonement was made even though not everyone will accept it. Psalm 73 verse 25 to 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth and earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. God is my portion forever. I want him in this earth. I want him in eternity. I want God. Great way to start the year, folks. You know, that's my prayer. I want to know God this year. So there's lots of things I could pray for this year, but what I've been praying for in the mornings when I've been getting up is, God, I want to know you more. This year, I want to know you, God. Because I know everything comes from that. Everything comes from that. Closeness with God is everything. It helps me survive, helps me thrive, helps me succeed, helps me be better, better dads, helps me be better in my interactions with some of you folks. You've got to pray, I connect with God. It all comes from that's the source. It's the source. So, how does knowing God impact your life? Well, I just. I took a bit of time thinking, how does knowing God, God impact my life? And let me just share you five things I got. Firstly, knowing God makes me feel secure. And knowing God can make you feel secure. See, I used to dread God's judgment. I remember as a kid, I, I was taken to church as a kid. I remember, I actually, I was thinking about this earlier this morning. I distinctly remember being in church one Sunday, sitting there like this. Because I would sinned real bad that week. Honestly, I was sitting there looking at the kind of big old altar at the front of this more traditional church um, and I was sitting there thinking God's gonna get me I was expecting a lightning bolt or something really I was in fear for my life and I was doing bargains saying God if you get me just forgive me and I'll not do it again And I remember I'd sinned that week and I really felt the dread of God in my life anyone had that right some of you had that it's not such a bad thing actually scare the hell out of you But I have to tell you, I am grateful for his forgiveness. Jeremiah 31 and 34. Jeremiah prophesied about a a new era. A new era that happens when Jesus died on the cross. Jeremiah, hundreds of years before Jesus predicted, he said, They will not teach again, each his neighbors, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. That's the new covenant we've got with God. You're in relationship with Him, and He's cleared the sin. Jeremiah nine twenty four. Let him who boasts boast of this: that he understands and knows Me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So do you know God? Do you really know him? Not just know about him, but do you accurately know him? Because if you know him, you'll know that within God is loving kindness and justice. There's the tension. You understand, whoa, you're an awesome God. You're a judge. But God, you're a God who's intensely loving kind. That's what the cross is all about. The justice and the love of God met on the cross. So you're living with this incredible security and yet deepest respect for this God. Knowing God, in my life, I live incredibly grateful. I live knowing I'm forgiven, knowing I'm secure. But it certainly doesn't excuse any behavior. I live in the fear of God. Second thing that knowing God does for me, and it can do for you, is it can give you clarity and confusion. You know, he, not my circumstances, he, He is ultimate reality. Circumstances will come and go. And sometimes circumstances are pretty intimidating. Sometimes the words people say or the things that happen around us shake us. But he's rock solid. And I find in him clarity in the midst of confusion with God. Proverbs 3, verse 6, famous verse, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It literally translates in the Hebrew. In all your ways acknowledge him literally translates... In all your ways, know him. Know him. And what? He'll make your path straight. And I find that. That's my experience. And I'm sure it's many of your experiences. As you know him and you're facing the unknown, or, I don't know what's happening here. I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to cope with this. I don't know how I'm going to get through that situation. But I do know you. And I do know and I've come to believe that I can trust you in every situation. So in this, I know you. And you know what he does? He makes your path straight. He takes you through it. He guides you through the stuff. He leads you on. That's what knowing him does. <clears throat> Thirdly, knowing him gives you confidence to step out. It says in Daniel eleven thirty two, 32, the people who know their gods shall prove themselves strong, shall stand firm and do exploits, like planning a church in Falkirk or doing something great, or impacting the poor, or just doing well in your work, or loving your kids, God will use you to do great things. How does that happen? Those who know their God shall do great exploits. And that's my experience. And to be honest, I wouldn't want it to be any other way. I wouldn't want to do great exploits because I was so great. I'd want to do great exploits because he's so great, and I've just happened to connect with him. We would want it that way around, wouldn't we? For his glory. Just having him with you just gives you the confidence to step out. <clears throat> Robert Schuller, he was the pastor of a, a famous church many years ago in, in California. And uh, he told a story about his, his mother and father. And his mother and father, they had a good relationship, a long relationship. But he just remembers his dad was always really, really quiet. And his mum uh, in conversation, would often say, Harold's you don't say very much. Like they'd be sitting there in silence in the living room at night. Harold, you don't say very much. And, and he would turn to her and say, what's there to say? <laughs> and Robert Schuler remembers as a child, this conversation often happens. Uh, his dad was just really, really quiet. <clears throat> Years later, his father passed away and he asked his mum, uh, "Mum, do you miss him? And she said, yeah, I really do miss him. I said, why? Because he didn't say very much. and he said I know but he was there he was there and and you know the reality is sometimes sometimes God doesn't say much he does speak he does speak not just your imagination thinking he's saying things he does speak you know he does you know when he's spoken to you but it's not every two minutes sometimes it's every two weeks sometimes every couple of days but he doesn't speak all the time you just know he's with you. And it gives you such confidence to step out. And when he speaks, wow, it's profound. David Livingston, the famous uh, Scottish missionary over in Africa, he came back from Africa for a period of time and he was awarded a doctorate by Glasgow University. And as he was awarded that, he, he, he stood up and he accepted the doctorate and thanked them for it. And then he went on to explain that how he was planning to go back to Africa. Despite the dangers, despite the troubles, despite the challenges that he knew lay ahead for him, he was going back to Africa. And this is what he said. He said, I will return with misgiving and with great gladness. For I would, li- I would like me to tell you what has supported me for all the years of my exile among the people whose language I could not understand and whose attitude towards me was often uncertain and often hostile. It was this. What kept me and what sustained me was this. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. On these words, I staked everything, and they never failed. So here you are. You've got dreams in your heart. God is with you. Permission to step out. Permission to live your dreams. Permission to pioneer Permission to initiate, permission to move forward, permission to step out, and I believe he will back you. As he puts things in your heart and you step out, he will back you. Fourth thing is knowing God gives me the deepest joy and satisfaction in life. The times where I've experienced greatest joy and greatest satisfaction have been times in his presence. It sometimes will be when I'm out for a walk. It sometimes will be as I'm just praying in the morning with my cup of coffee and my Bible open. And it just, the joy is incredible. And it's a glimpse of eternity. It's sometimes as I'm with my family and I just experience his presence. It's sometimes as I'm in a worship service with you folks and I just hear him speak and I sense his presence. You've had those moments and you know you know there's no joy that compares to that joy. You know there's no peace or no satisfaction that compares with that. Many of you know that. If you've never experienced that, may that be your experience today. May that be your future. That reality of that joy is so, so true and so real. That's what knowing God does for me and is no comparable. And that's just a glimpse of the reality that will be fully unveiled As we leave these bodies and enter into eternity, that is ours in Jesus Christ. And the fifth thing is knowing God helps me to know fatherhood. It's interesting. Jesus started this verse by saying in John 17, 1, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. In the Gospels, there are 21 times that recorded when Jesus prayed. 21 times. 20 of those times, he used the name Father. On one of those occasions, he didn't. 20 times, Jesus started his praying Father. Now, there was no precedent for that kind of praying in the Old Testament Scriptures. There was no precedent for that kind of praying among the Jewish peoples. The root word Father comes from the Aramaic word Abba, which is Daddy or my dearest father. That's what it means. And Jews didn't conceive of approaching God in that familiar way. That would be too disrespectful. And in the Old Testament, you don't see anyone praying in that way towards the Almighty. And yet Jesus, 20 out of the 21 times he referred to God, he spoke to him as father. But the one time he didn't, is significant for you and I. It's in the cross in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six, And it says, When Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, My God! Didn't call him Father. He called him God. My God, my God! Why have you forsaken me? And that's significant because in that hour, that's the hour to impact eternity. That's the moment in all eternity where the eternal Son of God and the eternal Father were separated for a period, for an hour, for a moment in history. They were separated on the cross as the sin of the world was placed on the Son. The separation that we should be experiencing, He experienced on our behalf between the eternal Son of God, the eternal Father, who have been in eternal union eternity passed and will be an eternal union for eternity In that hour, they were separated so that you could never be separated from God again. So that as you know God, you can never just speak to him as God. But you can from now on, because he was separated on your behalf, you can from now on, because of his blood, know him as Father for all eternity. And knowing him as Father... Changes everything. People who know their fathers do well in life. Good fathers give you a real good start in life. Statistics show it. The Father Factor article published in Times Online magazine showed that seventy uh, percent of young offenders come from lone parent families. Girls from fatherless homes are greater over greatly overrepresented represented in teen pregnancies. The the impact of the absent father, or the impact of the abusive father had a devastating impact in human life. Now, good news. The good news is this. My dad was never always the perfect dad. But today, me and dad are brothers, and we share one father. He's called God, and he's changed us. I'm not always the perfect father to my children, but me and my nine-year-old boy, Michael, our brothers, and me and my 11-year-old girl, Becky, our sister, brother and sisters. <laughs> and we share Father God. And he builds into our hearts security that no earthly father, even the best of them, could have given us. And our city's crying out for that kind of fatherhood. Our city's desperate for relationship with Father God. Well, so what's our mission? After this, Jesus said this. He looked towards heaven and prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, <clears throat> that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God's. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus brought God glory by finishing the work the Father had given the Son to do. That's what got God glory. So Jesus came. He was willing to come into this human existence. We celebrate that Christmas, the birth of Jesus. He came born in obscurity grew up in a working class home. Three years of ministry, aged 30 roughly to 33 roughly, starts teaching, healing the sick. At the end of those three years, his hour had come, died on the cross, paid the price for sin, rose again, conquered death, and ascended back to the Father. That completed work, as Jesus hung on that cross, and in those last moments, John 17, 18, sorry, John nineteen thirty. He says, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. As he was on the cross and he died, he said, it's finished, completed work. Because of that death, because of his resurrection, you can experience total salvation. He did that so you can have eternal life. He did that so you can have a relationship with God forever. That's the work done. He's completed his work, and that has brought God Glory. It's interesting that Jesus said about us, John seventeen eighteen. He said, Father, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So now we have a work to do. Jesus has completed his work. He has made it possible for every human being who ever has and ever will live to have a relationship with God as Father. An authentic relationship, an eternal relationship. Now we have a job. Our job is a commission. And Matthew 28 says it. 28, 18 to 20. Jesus said, came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Destiny Edinburgh, this year, you have a mission. You have a work to complete. And I believe that we will glorify God as we complete our work just as Jesus Christ glorified the Father as he completed his work. So we glorify God this year by going for it, by running with this baton. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I commanded you. Plant churches, start small groups, initiate projects, live your dreams, love your wife, raise your kids, Share your faith with your friends. Get in among the community and show love. Look after the next generation. Love the unlovable. Show compassion to those who have never felt it. Give food to those who don't have food. Clothe the naked. Share the gospel. Give away your life. Give away your money. Live with good attitudes. Dream big dreams. Initiate massive projects. Serve under other people's leadership. Get alongside people who are living their dreams run with people. Don't quit on anyone. Persevere. Worship together in church gatherings. Worship together in small group environments. Be faithful in the details and in the big things. Go make disciples. And Jesus said, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And we glorify him by doing what he's given us to do. And our baton is this. We have this message, this gospel, this good news, about a God who can save people and get them into relationship. People were born to know God, even though many today are living in denial of God. We have a mission, church, to tell the world that some of them don't want to hear it, but we have a mission to love them into hearing it. The best news ever about the love of God. It's a happy new year. That's why I'm alive this year. That's why I'm glad this year. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your salvation. Thank you for the eternal life that you've given us. Thank you, God, for uh, Jesus, your big salvation plan. Thank you that you completed that plan. When you came into this world, when you lived that life, when you died that death, when you accomplished all that you accomplished, because of that, because of that, we can have life. Because of that, we can have salvation. Because of that, we can have a relationship with you, God, forever. Despite ourselves. Despite our failures. Despite our shortcomings. Because you, Jesus, didn't, you didn't fall short. You accomplished everything. Glory to you, God. Lord, we understand that eternal life would be absolutely miserable if it wasn't for you. And we wouldn't want to have an eternal existence were it not for you. God, please mean everything to us this year. Mean everything to us in this life. And we believe you will mean everything to us in eternity. God, fill our horizons this year. We're at the beginning of a year, God. And my prayer for myself, my family, and my prayer for this church across our two campuses and our four services, is that our precious people, God, will live in a relationship with you. And that would mean everything to them, that everything we do comes out of that. That Everything we do comes out of that relationship with God. Every bit of serving, every leaflet we distribute, every prayer we pray, every money we donate, every person we welcome, every initiative we start, comes out of relationship with you, God. Thank you, Father. Okay, just take a moment in his presence just to dedicate yourself to him. Just pray your own response to God's at the beginning of this year. Put him first. Reaffirm your love to him. Go for it. While people are praying their own prayers, maybe some of you here today have never, never yielded yourself to Him, never put Him first in your life. Okay? So why not today? Why not today make that decision? Not half heartedly. That's dishonoring to God. Wholeheartedly. Why not give everything to God today? Become His wholeheartedly. That's you today just wherever you are in the auditorium, I invite you just to pray this simple prayer and dedicate your life, your year, and your future to him. So that's you, pray with me. Under your breath, repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thanks for dying on that cross for me, rising again, so I could be saved, so I could know you, God. Jesus, I believe in you. Today I put my faith in you. Be my savior. Father, be my God. Jesus, be Lord over my life. Take first place in my life. I commit myself today, this year, and for the rest of my life, to following you to the best of my ability. Thanks for hearing my prayer and for accepting me as your child. Okay, if you prayed that prayer, I wanna pray for you. Just raise your hand wherever you're sitting. If you prayed that prayer, just put your hand up nice and clear so I can pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Just keep your hands up so I can see Thank you. Anyone else before I pray? Dear God, I thank you for these three precious people. Thank you for your massive love for these people. Thanks for the plans you have for them. Thank you, God, that this decision they've made today, this prayer they've prayed, They've made a commitment to you and I believe you accept them fully. God, I pray, let them know the reality of your presence in their life. Let them not just know about you, let them experience you on a day-by-day basis. Pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing on these three precious individuals. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen.